Happy Friday and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a duo on the podcast for the very first time. They are brothers, restaurant owners, and both professional chefs with impressive careers both on and off the screen. We chat about their upbringing and how their lives have converged and diverged over the years as they each navigate their culinary careers from opposite coasts. They are the sibling chefs you know and love and now the hosts of the competition show Battle of the Brothers. Please welcome Brian and Michael Voltaggio. Brian and Michael, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm super excited. This is our first ever dual interview on Food Network Obsessed. And who better to do that with than the Voltaggio brothers? So, Michael, you and I co-hosted an episode of Beat Bobby Flay Flay. a while ago. Great to reconnect with you, Brian. Nice to meet you virtually for the first time. I'm fans, uh, a fan of both of yours for a while now. And obviously, you guys are together doing this podcast. But Brian, I know you are based in Maryland. Michael, you're based in California. So what was it that drew you guys to to settle down on opposite coasts? I uh, can blame that on Jose Andres. He uh, hit hit me up one day and was opening a restaurant in L.A. Uh, So I actually left this area 12 years ago to open the bazaar by Jose Andres. So and then I just I became a Californian at that point. And you're never leaving. You're you're there for life. I believe I am now an Angelino. Okay. For now, at least. Officially. So, officially, yeah. And Brian, you kind of stayed uh, closer to home. I, I hear you live on a farm. Seems like that's maybe a, a more peaceful, slower pace of life. What What is a day in the life like for you on the farm? It's definitely not slow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very busy, but it's great. I mean, I live in our hometown, like where we grew up and where we went to high school, where I met my wife and raised our kids. And so we decided to stay here, you know, kind of put in roots here. And now, you know, we're fortunate over the last couple of years. Years, we did buy a, you know a new piece of property which has a little bit more land so now we're growing our own food which has been a lot of fun but it's a lot of work i mean yeah. it really is i'm starting to learn like you know it's it's real he's got fresh eggs every morning though i li- i just made myself scrambled eggs from the <laughs> eggs from his chickens from this farm how, so. how much better are the eggs when they're like so fresh like that well they're great yeah i mean you know because we let our chickens kind of free range and do their own thing and you know so they get all the bugs and stuff which is cool and they get Beautiful yolks, beautiful eggs. Had you uh, had any like farming experience prior to buying this piece of property? No, I had absolutely none. <laughs> and, you know, I ended up following this guy on YouTube and started like, you know, learning about, you know, his farming practices. It's a farmer in upstate New York and got obsessed with it because he literally ran his farm like a, I believe a chef would run a kitchen. Okay. You know, it was very precise, very like checklist for everything and everything in order and very, very detailed oriented. And so I started watching that like after work because it was kind of like my decompression moment. Right? Therapy. <laughs> Therapy yeah, would call yeah, Exactly. <laughs> and so that was it. Like kind of in a nutshell, I got I got into it and you know it started signing for class with them. And then, you know, that's how I, I learned. And now it's just farming by trail by error. You wouldn't know it being here though. Like he yeah. fully has a farm. There's goats, chickens, there's vegetables growing. I mean Brian is Brian is now a farmer. That's amazing. Yeah, I grew up on a farm in Montana. So uh, I, I appreciate uh, the, the hard work and, and all that that goes into it. Now, now, Michael, you're you're in L.A., so not a farm. No, what, definitely not a farm. What's a typical day look like for you? 
lately it's been been a lot of this. And Brian and I, we're, we're business partners too. So with right. our restaurants, we're looking at a couple new projects now. We've got a couple projects that are currently open. Uh, and then we're in the process of reopening one of our restaurants that was closed during the pandemic. And so I'm on the East Coast working on that now, but I fly back to LA in about three hours. So, that, but I've been over... I've been on the East Coast, I think, six times in the past four weeks. Wow. So there's been a lot of traveling. I know so many people that would never want to work with their family. So I'm curious what the, the secret is to not killing each other. <laughs> I, I mean, for us, I feel like we just came to a point in our careers where we realized we didn't have to compete against each other. And I know that's ironic considering our show is called Battle of the Brothers. That being said, we, we made a choice. You know, we could accomplish twice as much or work half as hard if we came together. We're accomplishing twice as much, I think. The half as hard working part hasn't really panned out yet. So we're still working as hard as we always have. We're just doing it with somebody that we trust. And so when you can rely on somebody to be your business partner and trust them, it's made that part of the process, I think, at least a little bit easier. Plus, if anything comes, like if it goes bad, we just, mom lives on the property too. <laughs> so we just get her mom. to be the mediator and we're good. Yeah. She's got the, the literally, the, the, <laughs> she's got the third vote. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that, you know, the, the competition growing up because I, I have a sister and I think that's just the nature of it, especially when you're, you know, relatively close in age. She's my best friend. But I remember as kids, you know, we kept score on everything, every aspect of life was a competition, birthday presents, splitting desserts, everything had to be even or our parents would hear about it. So I, I, I'm assuming it was somewhat similar to you guys, maybe even amped up a little bit more because... Uh, yeah, nothing's brother. changed, you know. <laughs> uh, we still fight over dessert. Like, who gets the biggest piece of chocolate? No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> we, you know, I think it's always been a healthy sort of competition. I think Michael and I always, no matter what we were doing, whether it be in sports, even though we played different sports, we would try to be the best at what we were doing. Like, Michael was a kicker in football. I was a goalkeeper playing soccer. And it was always like trying to one-up each other in a, in a healthy, encouraging way. I think it's always been that way. There's always been like for a little who, bit of ribbing. Who was it LA for? For you? <laughs> yeah, there's always Says been like a little bit of ribbing here and there. But it, it was a healthy, encouraging sort of way. Well, like that sibling rivalry sort of, you know, look. It was friendly, I mean, this goes right? back. I always tell this story. Like we had big wheels, you know, back in the day. It was like, who can get down to the hill the fastest? I mean, that, that's where it kind of started, you know? And then... Now it's like, you can win this new show we have. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't stop. It doesn't you know what stop. I mean? It doesn't stop. No. And I'm sure also, you know, to some degree, you know, even though there is the, you know, the competition growing up, there is still the younger brother looking up to the older brother. And I, Michael, I'm curious if Brian was the inspiration behind you wanting to pursue your own culinary career. Yeah, I mean, for sure. He he definitely got me my first job in a professional kitchen. Um, I worked under and for him during that process, which I mean, yeah, Short that, time was, his career, though. <laughs> that was definitely uh, an ego check and a challenge to say the least. But walking into that environment and seeing how much people respected him. I mean, he was 17 years old, a sous chef at I'll just be honest. We worked at a Holiday Inn and Brian was the sous chef there. And I was there at 15 years old and just seeing how people reacted to what he did and how sort of like the level of respect that he got for his work ethic. And so for me, I, I was very, very much drawn to that. And I think that he definitely brought Brian still to this day, gets up at six o'clock in the morning and works till midnight. And I know people say that they'll say like, oh, I work 12 to 14 hours a day. Brian actually does do that 
every single day still. And I'll say for the both of us that we've probably worked more seven day work weeks than we have five for sure in our careers. Definitely. I mean, what was it like having your big brother as your boss, essentially, you know, at age 15? Oh, no. I mean, having, <laughs> having a boss at age 15 is hard enough, right? Everyone's sort of like, and so for me, I was like, this is a piece of cake. I'm related to this guy. So if he says something to me that I don't like, I'll just talk back. True. And uh, I, I did that once. And then the food and beverage director brought me into the office and was like, look, you know, at home, you guys are brothers, whatever. But at work, Brian's the boss. And so uh, that same day we got home and I was waiting for Brian and he comes through the front door and I'm like, look, at work, you're the boss, but at home and I hit him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then he proved again at home that he was the boss because he beat the crap out of me at the house too. So um, (laughs) it was a friendly fight. No, no, no bloodshed or anything like that. A a brotherly uh, wrestle, if you will. But um, Brian maintained his uh, stance at work and at home. So. The kitchen community, like the culture of the kitchen and everything, like it's it's always there's camaraderie. There's like you're always trying to help each other's team, right? You know, and we grew up playing sports, and I think that that superseded the sibling rivalry kind of like deal and being the boss and like you know all of that stuff was kind of set aside. It was, hey, we're going in. We got 450 people for brunch, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get it done. Like that's that's even what it was back. There was, there was no lines of like, I'm the boss, you're going to do the work. And I was just <laughs> thinking like, why is he so dramatic? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just a poached salmon with a bunch of carved vegetables next to it. Exactly. Did you guys know then that you wanted to, you know, pursue culinary as a career? You know, we, we did it because it was cool that we're making money and we could put gas in our cars when we were 16 and get some cool clothes and stuff like that. And Your clothes it, were cool? I thought they were. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. Probably not. But in looking back, I don't know what the point was where it snapped where we both were like, this is going to be what we do for the rest of our career, you know, our lives. And we're going to totally go into this all in. It's kind of nuts that we have a combined experience now of like 50 years. Yeah. Most people retire after doing something for 25 years. And we've actually been in our careers for over 25 years. Technically, we can retire. We should. Be. I, don't know I don't know if we get that social security check yet. No, not at all. So, you know, at one point, Michael and I decided we were going to make a career out of it. Michael left. He went to became an apprentice through an accredited program. And then I went to Culinary Soup America. So we kind of went off on our both our paths towards professional career path towards, you know, becoming a chef and, and working in a kitchen. And that's where it really changed. I mean, then it went from, you know, being teenagers and just doing it for cash and money and, you know, buying stuff to like, hey, this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. I mean, you kind of you guys both kind of took different routes to end up at, at the same mm-hmm. place, you know, culinary school versus apprenticeship. What what are your guys' thoughts on, you know, kind of formalized culinary education or, you know, kind of just cutting your teeth right away? Yeah, I mean, no. And that's that's why I think we are a great example of that, that there isn't one pathway to, to becoming a cook and a chef and being a part in, in the hospitality business. I mean, really, it's, it's hard work ethic and getting in and really just, you know, wanting to learn. And it really just depends on where you team. are, like in your life as, as it relates to your professional maturity, too. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a time and place for culinary school. If you've never worked in this industry and you need to be exposed to it very quickly, I think culinary school is a great mm-hmm. path to take, yeah. especially coming right out of high school. For us and for me personally, I had four years experience before I entered into my apprenticeship. And so I feel like I was in an environment that were much like culinary school. I just was getting paid to be there. Not very much, but at least I was getting paid. 
But at the end of the day, that four years of experience, whether you go to school and you get both the social and professional experience that comes with being at, you know, sort of university versus on the job, I think that they're both very valuable. It's just a matter of, you know, where you are professionally and what your level of maturity is. Well, I mean, since your holiday in days, you two individually and together have received numerous awards, James Beard, Michelin stars, best new restaurant by GQ. Is there an accomplishment that you're most proud of, like either individually or as as a pair? I think what's really right, right in front of us, I mean, right now, I mean, because Michael and I were, you know, we're, we're on our own career paths, like going these kind of separate ways. Even if Michael still lives on the West Coast. We now have come together because there's a time in our career where we had a lot of different things going on, you know, and it was time to refocus and, you know, focus on what our next decade is going to look like. What's our next 10 years going to be like? And, you know, forming a stronger partnership because, yeah, in our 30s, we're like trying to one up each other all the time and kind of just going our own way. Now we're working together. Now we're stronger. And I think now we have a lot more on the horizon. And I think now is a, is a good milestone in our career and where we are right now. I think the most unique thing about it too currently is that we are the old guys. If you look at the amount of time that we've been in the industry, but we're still very young because we started very young. So we have this ability to sort of mentor the next generation, but also participate at the same time because we still have the stamina. Career-wise, we've been doing this for a long time, but age-wise, we're still very young and still have a lot of energy and you know, you look at like the Jonathan Waxmans of the world that are still going at it. I mean, I think he's he's got a, a battery pack in, in his body somewhere that just keeps him going. But it's like, how do you how do you maintain that energy in an industry that's so demanding? And I think that, you know, one thing that has been really important to us is is sort of you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And then as you grow your company, like we are currently doing now, whether it's open more restaurants Uh, get involved in other projects. How do we get to do all of that? And it's by retaining the people that work with us. And I think that that's really the goal now is, and and especially today with the labor crisis that we're facing in our industry and every single chef from Danielle to Grant Ackett's, Thomas Keller, to Brian Voltaggio, to Jose Andre, to whoever, it's like everyone says, it's hard to find good help these days. Well, once you find them, it's even harder to keep them. And so just being able to retain staff, I think to me is, is one of the biggest accomplishments that any of us could experience as a chef right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you said it, it's, it's been an insane time for the restaurant industry. What excites both of you about the restaurant industry right now, as you kind of look ahead to the future? Because nobody's given up, you know, like, I think that that's what, that's what I love the most about where we are right now is that, you know, there was, it felt like a very dark time in our industry, you know, where nobody, and and it did, and it was for a lot of people. I mean, let's not discount the fact that we've lost a lot of seats in this country and we'll never get them back. Um, So really, really amazing restaurants. But now it's like, what do we do now? And everybody is pushing forward. Everybody wants to bring this industry back and make it stronger. And, and I think that that's the positivity about this is the opportunity we have. Like we can we can craft the, the next 10, 20 years of what this industry is going to look at like and, and make it better for everybody. You know, not only our guests, but also the people who are working with us. I also think that one thing that restaurants and diners have both learned over the past year is sort of what were we doing that was really important and what were we doing that was not really important. And I think during this past year and a half, we've been able to zero in. Like I didn't know how to use a QR code. If I ever saw (laughs) one, I was like, I don't stick that thing in my face. Give me a piece of paper. And now everyone's sort of getting familiar with that. And then there's these sort of steps of service that were so important to us. How many times can a server touch the table? And now it's like, 
don't have the server come around me too much. And so I feel like our customers, as much as we've always been there for them and provide that hospitality, I think our customers are now reciprocating that hospitality. And so for us, we've sort of met somewhere in the middle to figure out what do we all need to keep this industry going? Is there something in the industry as a maybe an award or just an accomplishment or a goal that you guys have yet to do that's kind of out there like on your on your vision board if you have one? <laughs> I don't think that we're award driven mm-hmm. that much anymore, right? Yeah, it's still great every once in a while to get a mention or something. I think now it's really that that instantaneous gratification about changing somebody's day at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's this is a guest driven experience now. It's still our restaurants are always going to be chef driven. I think we both Michael and I agree to say the same exact words, you know, because that's who we are. And that's how we operate because we're at the stove every day. But now it's about making it for the guests, no matter what. It's a whatever it takes experience for them. And I still feel like that all still comes through in, in, our, in our food, no matter what. And that's just, that's, that's what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah. I mean, I think the, biggest, for that the biggest award now is staying open another day. Yeah. And that's <laughs> really Seriously. what it's all about. <laughs> so I, I think that the guides and, and the, the sort of critics and all that could do a better job at, at recognizing, you know, the operator's needs as well. I know that there's a certain criteria that dictates what level of restaurant you are. But at the end of the day, without chefs and restaurants, there aren't critics and guides. And so also finding that sort of parallel path to success so that there's this, I, we're in the hospitality industry. And I think that that's, that's the number one thing that I think we all learned that we can get back to in the past year and a half is take care of each other and believe, practice what you preach, not just to the guests that are coming and paying for it, but but for the for your team, for the people that work for you, take it home to your family. Let let that lifestyle become a part of something bigger than just a paycheck. And I think we often forget that word hospitality. And that's something that's always been super important to both of us because we didn't come from a background of luxury. We had to learn it and then figure out how to apply it. And now that we understand it a little bit better, it becomes a part of you. How do you, you know, keep on top of your game and kind of keep pushing the envelope and, and getting you know, more inspiration from different places when, like you said, you guys have both been in this business for a very long time. Well, now, I mean, it's really, it's the people that are around us, the up and coming chefs and team members that are, that are working with us every day. We draw inspiration from them about, you know, trying to not only remain a, an inspiration for them and constantly pushing ourselves and not stopping, but making them better at what they do and helping them realize their next dish and, and, and their next opportunity. Don't be afraid to be managed by the people you manage, right. you know, and that's like a good philosophy. Uh, there's that whole like eight tire sevens and sixes and nine tire tens. You know, we, we like to surround ourselves, uh, ourselves with people that, I mean, selfishly that, that we can learn stuff from too. And I think that that's important. You can't, your ego can't be so big that if somebody comes to you and says like, Hey chef, the last place I worked, we, we, we did it like this. And you're like, I don't care. Chef. But in the old days, if you wouldn't dare to say that. And we wouldn't dare to allow people to say that. You have to listen because this information is out there prior to them walking into our restaurants now and where we had to go work for people to get this information. And a lot of times back in the day, like in the late 90s, working for various different like fine dining restaurants, whether it be in New York City or wherever we worked, we would all all the cooks were like trading notebooks like baseball cards. Like, oh, where do you work? Oh, I work at Ducasse. Oh, where do you work? I work at Danielle. Where do you work? And so everyone's just sort of like, I hope these chefs never hear this, but it's like, 
we're out at a bar having beers and like trading recipes. That's how all your recipes got mixed up. We're <laughs> passing them all around. <laughs> but the reason why it's okay to say that is because now you can find this information online. Like you yeah. can just Google the scallop with caper and raisin from Jean Georges and the recipe's there. So now it's just a matter of application. And, and really the only thing we can teach outside of, of the information that's out there is work ethic and passion. And I think that you know, one thing that Brian and I have always been able to do is, is sort of be present. People see it because we, we, we were the guys that were, are there at work. And so first in last out for as long as we can. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, clearly you guys are, you know, mentors to a lot of these younger chefs, probably mentors to each other. Do you have other mentors in the industry that you look up to? I worked for Charlie Palmer for a long time, for almost 10 years of my career. And, you know, to this day, you know, I can pick up the phone and call him for any reason. And we share a lot of information and remain friends now. I mean, that's turned on to a different style of relationship now. I mean, I'll always call him chef, <laughs> you know, but always. But, you know, now it's it's beyond just the the kitchen. We talk about our families now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's grown into something different. So... Michael will. Yes. You made a good point. Will always be my, my mentor, you know, like I, I am, you know, amazingly proud to, to be able to work not only, you know, for him, but with him because <laughs> now the, t- the tables have kind of <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> so I, mean, we've- I think now what we can do is push each other. And I think that's a part of being a mentor too, is to be able to coach and help and, you know, inspire and, and I think that that's really important, especially now when we're trying to do that for other people. They need to see that in us, you know, if not, then we're not doing our job. I think that, I mean, as far as mentors are concerned, too, yeah, there's people that we've worked with and then there's people that we're fortunate enough to be around uh, now, too. You know, I did. Yeah. I got to work with Jose Andres for a long time and Charlie Palmer as well. And then there, you know, my mentor at the Greenbrier, Peter Timmons, who's since passed away. But there's other people that I've met along the way now that I lean on as I'm learning new disciplines, whether it's Michael Mina has become a big part of, you know, sort of my sounding, sounding board to, to throw ideas at. Guy has been instrumental in my development as it relates to not just uh, stuff that I've done with the network, but life. I mean, just his, his approach to how he gets involved in the community, to how he handles the enormous team that he has around him at all times to just, I mean, really bouncing ideas, having sleeping in guy's house and having the opportunity to just have conversations with him that are real and off the record have really helped me understand the possibilities of what my career path could look like. And and that goes for, I mean, Bobby too. I, Bobby's somebody that I definitely hit up uh, on a regular basis when I need advice in certain situations. And so it's very, uh, it's a small world, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we find ourselves in situations where our colleagues are the people that we've spent our careers looking up to, um, to go to an event and have Danielle Blue be there and say like, Hey, Michael, good to see you. Like my mouth still drops. And I'm like, wait, Michael, who's is, is Michael Mina standing behind me right now? Like he's talking to me. And so as you develop these now friendships, um, it opens up, uh, you know, so many new resources for sure. Keep listening because up next, we're getting all the deets on the Votaggio's new show, Battle of the Brothers. And now you guys are our mentors on your own show, your own Discovery Plus show, Battle of the Brothers, uh, which you mentioned earlier. I-, I feel like this is this is a show that, you know, it has everything. You've got the sibling rivalry. You've got the cooking challenges, which are very intense. What did you guys enjoy most about creating and filming this show? 
It was, it was about the chefs who came in and, and started cooking. I mean, they were some incredible, incredible people and they're so, they're so talented. You know, I mean, we, we, we got to be a part of selecting those people, right? But, you know, so for them to, to come in and, you know, week over week, put up some, some of the most incredible food we've seen in food competition. Sometimes like, wow, I wish I would have did as good as that. That's a cute answer. I'm gonna, it's, so, it's so nuts, you know, so. The cooking on the show is incredible. Yeah. And the cooking on the show is incredible for a couple of reasons. One, uh, in the first round, we, unlike other scenarios similar to this, we're not just sitting on the other side of a table yelling things out like, you shouldn't put that in the dish. Right. Like we can walk into the kitchen and say, hey, wait a second, take a step back. Why don't you try to do it like this and see how it comes out if you try it this way. And then there's round two. Round two, we have to cook. And so for us, we're never afraid of that part. You know, put us in there at any moment. And that's really, I think, where you're going to truly see our personalities come out. And so for me, uh, to be able to go out and share that part of myself with not people that are just in our kitchen there while we're filming it, but, but everyone that gets to see it. And they get to see how much Brian and I still care about what we do and showcase what, what we've learned. I mean, 50, I mentioned it earlier, 50 years of culinary experience, whatever, that could have been spent doing so many different things. And so the only way we could really explain what that 50 years of experience looks like is by doing it in this round two of the competition. And so we get a chance to do that. And I think that for as long as we'll get that chance, we'll show up. Uh, how much does that competitive spirit that you mentioned and the sibling rivalry, you know, motivate kind of the, the format of the show and how each of you approach it's real. it. Yeah, it's real. Oh, yeah. It's real. Yeah, 100%. It's real and on camera, off camera, we're having the conversations and they're not short of emotional. But not in a way, I, I mean, I can't say that I'm disappointed if Brian wins around or super stoked if I win. But, but I mean, I will say it. I am thoroughly disappointed. Like, but then I'm like, it goes past just, Brian, I can't believe you beat me. It's like, what's wrong with that judge today? Or like, what? Like, I'm going through the whole, whole thing in my head of like, why didn't I just win that? <laughs> and so, you know, what we do is very subjective. And, and when you apply our discipline to a competitive environment and there's a set of rules associated with that, there's a lot more to it. It, it, it does become in some cases sort of a game show as well, because um, there's certain certain twists and certain scenarios that we introduce to the chefs, uh, both in round one and then and then scenarios that are introduced to us in round two that aren't necessarily in our control. The surprises that come with this competition are as good as the competition itself. Do you guys approach the, you know, the role of, of mentor differently or similar, do you think? The one underlying thing is we always lead by example. We're always showing people exactly what our thought is, you know, whether it be that we're physically there right next to them, helping them get through that next step or that next thought. You know, I think the creative process, though, is different in, in how we how we, we, we come up with an idea or how we pivot, you know, if we have to in the middle of a cook can be very different. You know, I, it takes me a little bit more time to kind of put my thoughts together. Michael can can just like crank it out. So sometimes I got to play catch up. <laughs> I, think we're, I think at the end, of, you know, the underlying thing is like we always want to bring the best out of the, out of the person we're working with, you know, and it's it's whatever. And, and we've managed a lot of people. We've worked with a lot of people over a career. So everybody has a different need or or we need to take a different approach in how we work with them. And I think we're now good at helping, you know, identify what that is. Like what's going to, what's going to make that spark happen? What's going to make them, you know, motivated to, to, to get it done and, and, and win. Um, it's weird when you're competing against somebody that you also are rooting for too. And I'm not yeah. saying that to sound cheesy, but it's like, 
I don't want Brian to feel bad and I don't want to feel bad too. So it's almost like I want to beat him so badly, but I also want him to do really well. So when we're in that situation, part of me wants to walk over and be like to the same thing to him. Like, Hey man, what if you just tried it like this a little bit or like, Oh, let me taste that real quick. Oh, you could add just a little bit more acid, (laughs) but I'm competing against him. So those, those things that we do at work every single day, which we do fight about, like he'll make a dish and I'll taste it and it's for our menu. And I have to be honest with him. Like if there's something that could make this dish better, or I just flat out don't like it, I have to tell him. And those conversations are extremely difficult. And that's when you're looking for a a new cook, you know, and you're working with somebody, you want them to develop that trust. You know, the ones who make it far in your kitchens are the ones that can kind of set aside the ego a little bit. You still want them to strive to be the best. You know what I mean? Like you still want a little bit of that out of each, each cook, but those who can take direction and really learn are the ones that are going to go far. And I'll tell you, you know, throughout week over week, Every one of these chef, young chefs, they were just such amazing to work with. Every single one of them were going to go on and do amazing things. It really um, felt like we were just working in one of our restaurants yeah. together and they were part of our team. And so that was the, that's also the hardest part is, is when you say goodbye to someone, it felt like it, it feels like every week we're losing an employee mm. from our team. And, and that's never right. good. You know, <laughs> yeah, so no. at the restaurant, there's like a going away party. You're like, sad. How are we, we going to do the next challenge? It just, it really, I really feel like Battle of the Brothers authentically captures the emotion of what we go through every single day in our professional situations, in our restaurants, in our kitchens. And so it really is for me uh, a chance to work with a new set of people that, aren't necessarily my employees and for a very short period of time. And so I need to maximize the the opportunity. I need to get as much out of them as I possibly can and vice versa. I need to give them as much as I can for the short period of time that we're together. And so it's really, it's almost like a long interview process and then you just keep losing, you lose them. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of sad, actually. It is sad. I mean, I mean, we see it in the first episode, you know, you, you each choose four competitors to be on your team. Right. So I guess whether it's on the show or in your own kitchens, like what is that it factor that you're looking for? I, I think in episode one, I think on the setup, Michael said it really well. You know, he was looking for a couple of different things in each one of the chefs that he wanted to join his team and seemingly got what he was looking for. And, you know, I was looking for the best cook he saw right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went fundamentals, like who can execute fundamentals and who had multiple, you know, cooking techniques going on. Because then I knew that was somebody I could could relate to and and speak to. I I feel like that I have really great base knowledge of fundamental cooking and I can, I, I, I can bring everything else that you need to get it across the finish line. And then I want some personality and flair, like want some, you know, character, want somebody fun, you know? So, because I wanted a well-rounded team, because I felt like even though week over week, somebody's going to be going home, it's not just about them working with me too, or Michael. It's also about them working together and learning off of each other. That's the whole thing. Like that's the environment we're always trying to create in our kitchen. It's not about individuals. It's about the team. It's about the entire experience. And I felt like they also learned from each other. It's identifying confidence over arrogance too. And I think that's the hardest part. You know, you get, you capture somebody's confidence and you're like, wow, that person's really good in their own skin and they're ready to go and they have a lot of knowledge, but then sometimes you realize it's just arrogance. And so you're like, Mm -hmm. how, which one is it? And then, and let's get down to that. 
the the prize is pretty cool too because the winner of this competition gets an incredible opportunity a guest chef residency at one of your restaurants i mean handing over the keys to allow somebody to realize their own dreams their vision how rewarding is that i i mean for me i think it's in whatever capacity that that they're they're involved in the restaurant meaning you know we'll make this part of the process as intimate or as large as they want it to be uh just having an opportunity to walk into a restaurant with a full staff behind you with their financial resources the equipment and everything whether it's a day or a week or whatever it, it's there for for this individual or longer maybe it's indefinite and so really for us we also see this as a recruiting process uh because we've got a lot of projects on the horizon because sometimes it's not even about whether or not they're qualified to go out and get that on their own but maybe they just weren't given the opportunity they're too young whatever the reason being somebody isn't willing to just say like here why don't you take the restaurant for an-? i mean we get invited to go cook in other people's restaurants all the time, so much so that that sometimes we even complain about it. Like it's like, oh, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta be in my own restaurant tonight. Why am I gonna come cook in yours? <laughs> and so I think it's life changing just just that experience uh, and and really being able to see whether or not you want to do this because it really is like a behind the curtain look into do I want to do this every day for the rest of my life and can I do it. It's not just the creative part, but it's everything else. It's the organization. It's the time commitment. It's having the opportunity to go out and one-on-one have that experience with the guests that are eating your food right there and being able to say words like my food. It's different when you're on a, like a competition program. You're like, my food is this. But when you can go out into a room full of people and say, like, what did you think of my food? And they're just customers or they're just guests. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lot of really unbiased opinions and you're getting a lot of people that are just going to tell you you're great or uh, could have used a little acid or whatever, you know, it's like, it's just, I feel like that part of the prize is the best part of the whole, of the whole thing. All the years that Michael and I have opened restaurants and, you know, all of that experience that we've had, there's all that's kind of like behind this person. They don't need to go and worry about whether or not certain things are going to happen for them. All of that infrastructure will be in place. We're going to be able to help them just execute their vision, even though it's going to be a, you know, a residency in a short period of time, have even to go do a pop-up, right. Mm -hmm. And just find a location and do that. It takes so much effort, so much effort to do it. And we're going to be able to fast track this thing and, and, you know, get them their opportunity to get out there and show the world their food. And I think that that's an amazing opportunity. I would have jumped on that. Trust me. <laughs> He's busy yes. delivering pizzas. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you guys are obviously the the stars of the show, as the as the name suggests. But you, you have a, a lot of great guest judges uh, on the mm-hmm. show as well. Eric Ajapong, um, Jordan Andino, Esther Choi, Leah Cohen. You've got some, you know, familiar Food Network faces like Alex Guarnaschelli, Christian Petroni. What was it like just kind of having all of these different um, talented people uh, on board for the show as well? I was humbled, uh, you know, that everyone said yes. And that part of it was like, okay, people are interested in what we're doing here. This project is very compelling, not because the, the names you just mentioned, they're all very busy people. And so for us to be able to, to have access to them, but more importantly, see the reactions from the chefs in our kitchen when they walked into the kitchen and them realizing like, oh, wait, like this is a big opportunity. That part of it for me was, yeah, I love Christian. He's like the third Voltaggio in a lot of ways. Like, <laughs> I, I love him so much. Um, Alex showing up, obviously, was incredible. And Esther, like, I mean, I was starstruck. Week after week, I was starstruck when they walked into the kitchen. And so to have those resources there and those critiques there and those comments there for the chefs that were competing, 
that's what really made it cool. And nervous because they had to watch us cook. So, oh, like, yes. Yes. That element was like, that was a game changer for sure. I mean, Eric Ajapon had gone and staged with Brian like years and years ago. And then again, full circle, just just to really show like, the hospitality part of our industry yeah. and how much we all love and support each other and just want the best for the industry. I love that you you call Christian uh, a third Voltaggio brother um, because we had him on the podcast, actually. And Michael, he he said he would most like to go up against you in a competition, but he also followed that up to say that he has a massive man crush on you. So I'm wondering, I'm <laughs> guessing the feeling is mutual by uh, the words that you you just spoke about him. I, you know, I love Christian Petroni. Uh, <laughs> he... You know, he's You're he was blushing. in Arizona. He, is it because he is it because he wants to be able to say he's taken out both Voltaggio brothers? Maybe. By the way, he took me out in TFC. That's true. That's true. Maybe that's what it is. That guy. That might be what it that's is. That's probably. I can see that. Careful. No, but he just he has the biggest heart. He, he was in Arizona a couple of weeks ago, and he calls me. He's like, "I'm coming over." I'm like, when? He's like, I'll be there in two hours. I'm like, where are you? He's like, Arizona. He's like, I was close enough, so I figured I'd just fly the rest of the way to your house. And he shows up at my house to hang out with me for like six hours. And it's like, all right, I'm going back to New York. It's on a red eye and leaves. Like he's just, he's just that type of guy. Well, well speaking of TOC, um, you guys both competed this past season. Um, you know, Brian, obviously repping the East coast, Michael for the West coast, uh, everyone we've had on the podcast say that that is like 100% the hardest food competition that they have ever participated in. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think because of the variables. I mean, yeah. it's it's quick. 25 minutes of protein and, and a piece of equipment. And then it's go time, you know, and then the right. blind tasting, which is very much very real. So you can't you can't talk your way in or out of any situation when that's happening. It's whose dish did they like the best? And mm-hmm. I will go on record as saying is I think I have the highest score in the history of the show still. So. <laughs> I think 90. Yeah, it was 90. It was high 90 or mid 90s at least. Yeah. So when somebody beats that, uh, <laughs> give me a call. Next year. Who would you guys want to go up against if and when you come back next year? Me? Each other? You go against me? That's, I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted to do it last time. <laughs> Just got knocked out too early. <laughs> <laughs> got to get through everybody else, right? Before that I can know. happen. Um, I'm ready now. I think, yeah, that, that would be fun to watch for sure. Um, but I could, that that competition's also like a, a game of like p- pick up basketball with your friends too. <laughs> you know, it's like you go out and there's so many variables and there's so many like, it, it's the competition part of it or, or the game show part of that to me is as intimidating as the cooking part because it you, you can't predict what's about to happen. And so um, it's not, to me, it's not about who the best chef is. And I, and I know that that's the criteria of the competition, but to me, it's like, Who's who's going to adapt and react to the best situation we throw at them, too? And so I think that you really need to have competition experience Mm -hmm. to walk into that competition and be successful because some really, really, really good chefs have walked into that competition and not done so well because they don't understand the other elements that could be thrown at them. And it's hard to adapt to that. And so to your question earlier, yeah, it is. It is, I think, one of the hardest cooking competitions out there. Uh, well, this has been so much fun, but we are running a little short on time. And I know, you know, Michael's got to catch a flight. So uh, we will wrap this up with some rapid fire questions. And then we have one final question that we ask everybody here on Food Network Obsessed. So rapid fire round, uh, classic or contemporary? Classic. 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 Land or sea? Sea. Sea. Who is the cleanest in the kitchen? Brian. Michael. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, we can't agree on that one for sure. Uh, early bird or night owl? Early bird. Night owl for sure. <laughs> a must-have kitchen appliance. A knife. Vitamix. Oh, uh, appliance. Sorry. Yeah, but I would agree with Vitamix. 
Sorry, blender that rhymes blender. with Schmidus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Best cooking tip your brother has taught you? Honestly, I did learn. So going back to the clean thing, even though I always work with right angles, but Michael is very obsessed about keeping everything in ninety degree angles. 90 really? Degrees in the kitchen, yeah. All right. Why? Well, because if you think about it, I, I kind of did it. This Sorry. is rapid fire. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. All right. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> all right. So last question. Um, and this is what would be on your your menu for your perfect food day? So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. There are absolutely no rules. So you can time travel. You can cook yourself. You can have other chefs cook for you. You can travel, you know, in between meals, whatever you want. I guess the easiest thing with having two people on, I guess you go each do your breakfast. Yeah, and I then mean, we'll go I can go quick. Oh, okay. Because um, mine, mine is I, I every year I wait for the perfect crab feast. Mm. I am a true Maryland guy. This is where I'm from. I, I love nothing more than sitting on a back patio and picking crabs with a bunch of friends and family. That's I, I love that. It's the experience. That's what it is. It's so simple, but yet just so. So you'll just have the crab for all three meals then. Oh, three. Yeah, meals. breakfast. Yeah, lunch. all three. Yeah, meals. okay. <laughs> Maybe just in various forms. Crab waffles in the morning <laughs> with cre- with a you know Bernays Benedict you know Benedict style and yeah. All right. Crab all all three meals. Crab Sorry. crab all I day. That one up. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> all day. Uh, Michael, what about you? I mean, I eat scrambled eggs every morning. I take pride in my scrambled eggs, and so um, I would definitely have uh, some scrambled eggs and avocado of sorts together for breakfast, uh, lunch. I'll have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> Dinner, uh, I, I mean, I'm a sushi fanatic, but uh, as far as eating it every single day, there's a spot in Soho called Domo Domo, and they make these hand rolls that have the, the texture of the nori is just so crispy every single time. And they almost fold it like a little taco. Mm. So if I could just sit down and eat a dozen of those for dinner every single night, uh, I would go for that for sure. So for lunch, uh, man. You can skip lunch. I mean, it's your it's I your hate day. having to choose, but, <laughs> but yeah, I... Uh, I would eat sushi for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I would probably just eat sushi. Okay, so you're having sushi and Brian's having crab. Are you guys having any dessert or or are you not dessert guys? I'm definitely a dessert guy. I'm I'm simple though when it comes to it. I I really just like a well done warm chocolate chip cookie. I mean, there's nothing better than that. Agreed. And we make some really good ones at the restaurant. <laughs> I am addicted to frozen yogurt. Ooh. I will admit that. Uh, in fact, I accidentally ordered, what was it, 28 of them one time? Oh, yeah. No, I, I remember that. It wasn't, on, it wasn't by accident. <laughs> <laughs> accident in quotes. Uh, I accidentally ordered 28. Sorry. I love frozen yogurt. I, I feel like there's worse things to be addicted to than than frozen yogurt. Thank you guys so much for joining the podcast, for sharing your stories, for giving us an insight to to the the sibling rivalry that is the Voltaggio brothers. And um, best of luck with the the new show. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks for having us. I can feel the brotherly love, can't you? So good to catch up with both Michael and Brian, and you can catch them on their new show, Battle the Brothers, now streaming on Discovery+. Plus. As always, thanks so much for listening, and make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review. We do love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. <laughs> <laughs>